This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. I appreciate Hunter reading the text for us this morning, and, and so what I'd like to do is to take one of the verses out of that text and talk about it for just a few minutes. Verse 9, where God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. And then he said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. To understand that passage, we, we need to go maybe back into the background of it where Paul made a statement that he knew a man above 14 years ago. He said, now, whether he was in the body or out of the body, he said, now, God knows that. He was caught up to third heaven. It's my, my thought that Paul may have had reference to himself when he was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. But nonetheless, he said this man was caught to the third heaven. To the Jewish mind, there were three heavens. Where God is, is one heaven. And where the sun, moon, and stars are, another heaven. And then the atmosphere around our earth being another one. Then he repeated himself. He said he was this, whether this man was caught up into paradise. He said, I don't know whether he's in the body or out of the body. He said, now God knows that. That tells me that our existence does not depend upon our being in the body. We can be in the body and exist. We can be out of the body and exist. That means that once we die, we still exist. And he said this man was caught up into paradise. The word paradise is of Persian origin. When a Persian king wanted to bestow a favor upon one of his subjects, he would allow him to walk with him in the garden. And so he said, this, the man I'm talking about was caught up into the paradise of God. Well, someone says, I wonder what he saw. He said, well, he said it's not lawful to talk about it. Now that ought to end the matter. But after this, Paul talked about what was given to him and that was a thorn in the flesh. He was given that thorn because of the various revelations that he had been given. And lest he be exalted above measure. And he'd get puffed up and proud to keep me humble. And he said, I had a thorn in the flesh. Someone says, well, what was it? We have no idea. We could debate now to the end of time and still not know. And so it's useless to talk about it. But the fact that it was called a thorn suggests in the Greek text that it was a very painful thing to Paul. Whatever it was was painful. And Paul three times prayed for its removal. And verse 9 is God's answer to Paul's prayer. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength, God's power, God's strength, God's ability 
is perfected in the life of Paul. God manifest his strength in the life of the Apostle Paul when he was being uh, abused and persecuted and the like. But I, I thought about that phrase, my, my grace is sufficient. Grace is God giving us what we need rather than what we deserve. Frankly, I don't want what I deserve. I really don't. I think a good way to illustrate that is with the Old Testament story of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba and she was expecting a child so he had her husband killed. And that he came to, Nathan came to, to David and he said, there was a poor man had one sheep, rich man had a lot of sheep. The rich man took the only sheep that, of the poor man. David said, well, I want you to bring, I want, I want to know more about that. He said, you're the man I'm talking about, David. You took the only wife a man had and you've got many of them. And then David said, well, I've sinned. And then Nathan said to him, well, then the Lord has put away your sin. We need to realize that according to Jewish law, David and the woman both deserved to be stoned to death. That was Jewish law. But rather than being stoned, God gave David what he needed, forgiveness, rather than what David deserved. Isn't that amazing? That's God's amazing grace. And I want us to think about the amazing grace of God for just the next few minutes. And God's it is amazing to me that God's grace is sufficient to, to forgive the sins of the whole world. You see, the whole world lies in sin, 1 John 5, 19. The text sometimes refers to it as lawlessness. But the whole world is lost. But it's amazing that God's grace is sufficient enough, adequate enough, to save the whole world. Classic text on grace, of course, is Ephesians 2, verse 8 and verse 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You, you see, there, there's a line God has drawn down through the families of earth. So some are saved and some are lost. And those that are saved are saved by God's grace. Those that are lost are condemned in the sight of God but they can be saved by the grace of God. Nearly 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus into this world on a mission. And the mission he sent Jesus on was to save the world. The world did not deserve Jesus. We did not deserve God sending Jesus into this world. Jesus is the gift of God's 
favor, his divine favor, his unmerited gift. Titus 2 and 11 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. It's my conviction that that text has reference to the deity of Christ and the incarnate state of Christ, that Christ came into the world in human form for the purpose of saving the lost world. We didn't deserve that. But God sent him anyway. You know, the grace of God can save any kind of a sinner. God's grace is sufficient enough, and it's so amazing to me that he can actually save murderers, people that are guilty of murder. You say, well, that's not possible, is it? Well, turn in your Bible to the second chapter of Acts. Peter's preaching the very people who call for the death of Christ. And he said to them, you have by wicked hands, you've crucified him, you've slain him, whom God hath raised up. You see, these are the people who said, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter's telling them, you crucified the Savior of the world. Their hands were red with the blood of Jesus. But if you keep reading in that book, in that chapter, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, you, you learn that there were some 3,000 of them that were baptized for the remission of their sins that very day. Murderers can be forgiven. God's grace is so amazing because it, it's sufficient to save just good moral people. You know the kind of person you'd like to play golf with, go fishing with, go camping with, live next door to, go out to eat with, you know, have as your best bud, your best friend. Let me tell you about a person like that. His name was Cornelius. Read about him in the 10th chapter of Acts, and Cornelius was a man that feared God with all of his house. And he gave much alms to the people. His prayers went up as a memorial before God. There's not a better person than Cornelius, good man. But Cornelius needed Jesus, even though he was a good moral person. Morality may keep you out of the Baldwin County Jail, but it'll take Jesus to keep you out of torment. And so Cornelius needed Jesus. Someone says, how can a man that was as good as Cornelius was need Christ? Well, I know that by studying Acts chapter 11, verse 14. When Peter got back to Jerusalem and his Jewish brethren, you see, Cornelius was a Gentile. Gentiles and Jews didn't have anything to do with one another. So when Peter got back to Jerusalem, his Jewish brethren called him on the carpet because he had been preaching the Gentiles. And so he explained to them that they had a right to the gospel as well as did they. And as a matter of fact, when he came to Cornelius, Cornelius fell down and wanted to worship the preacher, wanted to worship Peter. And that's when Peter said, stand up because I myself am a man and I perceive of a truth that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So, so Cornelius was a subject to the gospel just like a Jew was. 
And when Peter got back to Jerusalem, this is what he said to his brethren, his Jewish brethren in verse 14 of chapter 11. How that Cornelius was told to send for him, to tell him words, takes words now to save people, words whereby thou and thy house shall be what? Saved. If he needed somebody to tell him what to do to be saved, he must have not been saved. So he was a good man, but he could be saved, and he was saved by the grace of God. The grace of God is sufficient to save people that live immoral lives. The immoral people of the world. I'd, have, I'd, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible over to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and look at verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. This is verse 9 now. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Now that's a person that has sexual acts outside the marital relationship. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers. That would be a person that's married that that uh, has sex with someone other than their spouse, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. That's a, that's a bad b bunch of folk, isn't it? That's a bad bunch of people there. Listen to him now. Shall inherit or will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, verse 11, here's our key. And such were, this is past tense, such were some of you. You who? You Corinthians. You were, you, you, you were guilty of some of these things. You were. What about you now? What about presently? Well, this is what happened to them. You were washed Washed in what? The blood of Christ. Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 1.5. You washed. When were they washed from their sins in the blood of Jesus? Well, Acts 22.16. Ray's been teaching this on Sunday morning. Why, why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. So you washed. You were justified. They, that's a legal term. It means you've been acquitted. You're on trial, but you're acquitted. We know what that means, don't we? Just as if I hadn't done it. Justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You were, you were sanctified. You were washed sanctified. That means you're set apart and you're justified. And so these were some bad, bad people but they were saved from their sins. See, God's grace is sufficient to save anyone, anytime, anywhere. Let me tell you about a man who was saved by the grace of God. His name was Noah. Genesis 6 and 8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes or in the sight of God. We do no injustice to say that Noah was saved by God's grace. But Noah was also saved by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 tells us that by faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, move with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. 
by the which he became the heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was saved by faith. He was also saved by grace. Paul said that we're saved by grace through faith. Noah was saved by grace through faith in God. He had believed God. Noah was saved by obeying God. Genesis 6.22 says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. He did everything that he was told to do. So that's how he was saved by God's grace. He had faith in God. He had enough faith in God. He would do what God told him. But Noah and his family were saved in the ark. They were saved in the ark. I'm sure there were people on the outside that wanted in. It might be that if we could have seen the ark after it came to rest after the flood, we might have seen some scratches on the side of the ark, people scratching, trying to get in. But they were on the outside, but they were saved in the ark. Listen to 1 Peter 3.20. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved. Noah and his family were saved in the ark, not out of the ark. There were a lot of people outside of the ark. They were saved in the ark when the flood came on the world. But Noah was saved by water. Let me read that verse again. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a prepared, wherein few, that is eight, souls were saved by water. How did water save it? Made the ark rise. Not only that, that water washed and cleansed the earth of all of the evil that was on the earth. So Noah was saved by water. We are saved by the grace of God. Titus 2 verse 11. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace are you saved. We are saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is God's part in our salvation. That's what God has done. Faith is our part. Someone said, well, didn't Noah save himself because he built the ark? No, no. For Noah to have saved himself Noah would have had to have known a flood was coming, but he didn't know that until God told him. He would have known to, had to have known to build an ark, but he did not know to build one until God told him. He would have to have known how to build an ark. He didn't know how to build an ark until God told him. So if Noah had, known a, had, not, had known a flood was coming and, and built that ark without God's telling him, he could then survive the ark and said, well... Look what I did. I saved myself. You see, Noah, we, we are saved by grace through faith. We're saved in Christ. That's our ark of safety. In John 10 and 9, Jesus said, I am the door. But by me, if any man enter in, he shall uh, go in and out and shall find pasture. To be in Christ is to be in his body. You see, the same thing that puts you into the body puts you into Christ. That's baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. Baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, 27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. So we are in Christ. That's where we are, ark of safety. Folks, the safest place for our souls today is being Jesus. Let me ask you, are you in Jesus? Are you in Christ? You say, well, Brother Lambert, 
You don't understand my life. And I've lived a pretty rough life. I've done some things that, that I'm ashamed of. Well, we all have. We all have. Clyde Thompson in 1928, was 17 years old. He was out with some boys one night, and they killed two other people. Shot them. Clyde did this. They asked him why he killed the second one. He said, just to see him jerk. How about that now, being hard-hearted? He was arrested he was condemned to die for his crimes. He killed some other people while he was in prison. He tried to escape. So for six years, he was in solitary confinement. They called Clyde Thompson the meanest man in Texas. That's what the chaplain, the, the, the chaplain and the people in the prison called him, the meanest man in Texas. But while he was in solitary confinement, he began to reach out for hope or for help. There was a congregation, and I think it was a Broadway church in Lubbock that challenged their members to send letters to prisoners at uh, the uh, state penitentiary at Huntsville, the Huntsville State Penitentiary. Only one person did that, a woman. And she began to correspond with Clyde Thompson. They became friends. She eventually went to the prison and visited him. He was now out of solitary confinement. He had had some Bible studies and he became a New Testament Christian while he was in the state penitentiary. Eventually, he and this woman married, incidentally. But she went to work to get him out of prison. Meanest man in Texas. His father had been a preacher in the Church of Christ. Eventually, he was released from prison. Once he was released, he went back to the prison as a chaplain to teach the prisoners the gospel of Christ. He was involved in something in their jail ministry in, in Lubbock and in other places. The man who had been called the meanest man in Texas was saved by the amazing grace of God.
you can be too. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Please do that. And may I urge you, please, to pick up the phone, call for the Bible course, or if you prefer, take it online. But whatever you do, let's get involved in studying more about the gospel. Please, let's do that. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. It's my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.